Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, rolling along here, Greedy and Company, hour number two with the hashtag crew around me. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Plenty from Hembo Bubba and Cam today, and there will be plenty more. I got a great rant of the day coming up here in just a minute. We obviously opened with Buffalo, and let's do that again. I did not set aside in our planning as much time to do last night's game as I think we have to because of the stunning nature of the way it ended. Look, the Bills have now lost five games this season. Two of them they just handed away. And you saw both of them, no matter where you are in America, because they both happened on Monday nights. The opening game, September 11th against the Jets, when Aaron Rodgers went down, the only way the Bills could have possibly lost that game is if they just turned the ball over repeatedly. If they had just started taking knees in the third quarter of that game, they would have won handily. Instead, Allen handed the Jets a win, gift-wrapped the Jets a win. And we woke up the next morning, and we A, we blamed Allen, not the coaching, and B, we mostly were talking about Rodgers for all the obvious reasons. Now we wake up today. Allen turns the ball over a bunch of times again. They have four turnovers in total. They wind up losing a game they should have no business losing. But I'm here to tell you, they didn't lose last night because of Josh Allen. They lost last night because of the coach. And that team, when you come up small in as many big moments as that team does, it's not just the quarterback. I think a finger has to be pointed at the coach as well. How do you have 12 men on the field in that situation? I hope you were with us either for TV this morning on Get Up or the beginning of our radio show here where Dominic Foxworth and earlier Jeff Saturday went over in detail all the ways that the Bills inexcusably got that wrong. In fact, the explanation that Sean McDermott offered is inexcusable itself. McDermott said after the game, look, we practice all week. What did you say? So we, I said, uh, we got a tweet from Trayvon Diggs. Yeah. I said, look at the uh, doc right now. He tweeted again. Let's not forget. He, oh, I see. You're okay. going to want to read this. I, I will. I'll read it in a second. Let me just make my point about Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott said after the game, it's inexcusable that we didn't execute that right because we practiced running our dime defense off the field and running our field goal uh, defense unit on. That's all well and good. But the point is, you should never have had your dime defense on the field in the first place. The Broncos were just taking knees. They need the ball three consecutive times. You knew what they were doing. You could have had that field goal unit on the field for 10 minutes in real time before they needed to run out there like a fire drill. If you watch that play when Russell Wilson takes his knee, the Broncos are running on and off the field like crazy because they got to get their offense off and they're kicking team on. That makes sense. The Bills, it looks like, are substituting half their team for no reason. None. So they got that wrong before they even got it wrong. So when the coach says it's inexcusable, he's right, but he's wrong about what's inexcusable. He got that wrong. I think Sean McDermott's seat should be toasty. Now, I don't sit here and advocate firing coaches willy-nilly. He is obviously on balance, done a good job there. He took over a team that was perennially awful, and they've been good, and they've made the playoffs pretty much every year and all the rest of that. But I do think there comes a point where you have led the horse to water, and if it's not going to drink, it might be time to put a different jockey on. You know, it's, it's that attention to detail that I think is really amplified or, or magnified here because Sean McDermott is no longer just the head coach. He's also the defensive coordinator. 
Because Leslie Frazier, who was their defensive coordinator last season, as he was in every season dating back to 2017, by the way, during which point the Bills defense was ranked first in the entire NFL, he was great at that job. Sean McDermott decided, I mean, look, Leslie Frazier stepped down, but I think there are reasons to believe that that wasn't, you know, that was only half of the story. Leslie Frazier did a great job with that defense, a defense that ranked 17th right now across the league in efficiency. And when you put all those items on Sean McDermott's plate, I suppose it was only a matter of time before a catastrophic mistake occurred because so few coaches have the bandwidth to do all of it. Now they have a whole other problem. When you tweet all that stuff out, guess what? We got it. My favorite tweet of the day. So Trayvon Diggs is uh, tweeting. He has just tweeted again. That's what Bubba was calling my attention to. So let me first read you the one from last night. And before I do, let me remind you of the circumstances. We have seen many players, coaches, and general managers have to answer for tweets that came from angry family members, angry friends, someone's wife tweets something, someone's father tweets something, all that stuff. And every now and again, my reaction is the player's got to be pretty aggravated that he's got to deal with this because his angry father tweeted it or his angry wife tweeted it or something like that. But in the case of Stefan Diggs, superstar receiver Buffalo Bills, his brother is Trayvon Diggs, superstar corner for the Dallas Cowboys, the most covered team in American sports. Nobody knows better than Trayvon does that when he tweets things about his brother's situation, it's going to get enormous attention. Why, what I mean by I say that is this is not an accident. He's not tweeting this, and Stefan is not texting him going, yo, man, what are you doing to me here? You're putting me in a bad position. This obviously is something that Stefan is good with. So last night, Trayvon Diggs tweeted, man, 14 got to get up out of there. 14, of course, is Stefan Diggs, who last night had five targets and three catches. Now, in the last, when did this come across here? 10.32. So in the last half hour, Trayvon Diggs has tweeted again. Let's not forget, he didn't start going off till bro got there. Now, there isn't any question who he is, but the fact that he doesn't use his name feels telling to me as well. Stefan Diggs has long been credited for being the uh, piece that helped put Josh Allen over the top, much in the same way that A.J. Brown has done for Jalen Hurts and much in the same way that I think the Bears hoped D.J. Moore would do for um, Justin Fields. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think it's insulting, and it feels like a role that Stefan, for most of this time, has embraced because those two guys seem to love each other. Well, we've all seen that there seem to be issues there now. You ask five different people what the issues stem from, and you'll hear five different things. So I can't tell you what it is that is the root of their problem because I just don't know. I would just be speculating. I have a theory, but it is only a theory. It would, it would be irresponsible of me to say. The, the, the God's honest truth is I don't know. But whatever it is, if Trayvon Diggs is going to say, let's not forget, he didn't start going off till bro got there, that feels like a big deal to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely does. Uh, I mean, I would say, if, you know, to Stefan, if, if, if you went out of Buffalo, I would just say, be careful what you wish for. Uh, talk to Devontae Adams about what it feels like to not have a Hall of Fame quarterback throwing you the ball. That being said, uh, Stefan Diggs has caught more passes than any player in the NFL since he went to Buffalo. He's been the number one target on a highly efficient and highly productive offense but this is the kind these are the kinds of things uh, I might say that that kind of start to happen when the dam breaks it becomes you become an every man for himself kind of team 
And I'm fearful that this could actually get kind of ugly in Buffalo, despite a great relationship, despite the fact that these guys have prospered off of each other exorbitantly. Perhaps this is sort of the first straw in what might be a a total collapse kind of second half for Buffalo if they can't kind of hold the fort. What do you think? I'm not 100% sure that this isn't also at least a little personal Hmm. uh, between Diggs and Allen. Like, I don't think everything is fine between them. I think they, they, they paint a picture of, of a situation where everything is fine. I'm not sure everything is fine. I, 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 would, I would say that unless things turn around there substantially, there is an excellent chance Stefan Diggs is not a bill next year. So perhaps like the kind of thing that both of these guys could stomach so long as they're winning, so long as they're both putting up numbers, but all of a sudden when that doesn't happen anymore, the personal becomes more important. Who was it that said winning is the great deodorant? I forget who used that expression. Was it Parcells? I forget who said it, but it was good. And it's right. Like, there is some stuff there that stinks. But John Madden. John Madden. Winning is the great deodorant. Mm-hmm. And it's right. Like, when you win, all of a sudden, everything seems, all the problems that are problems seem a lot less like problems. And that's all fine. Um, all of it, but I think that there are real problems there. And I think that unless things get much better on the field, the winning, I think, can still cover up that odor. But they better do some winning in a big hurry. All right, greeting with you here on ESPN Radio tonight, College Basketball Action Champions Classic. I love this event every single year. Duke, Michigan State, Kansas, and Kentucky. Coverage 630 Eastern on most of these ESPN radio stations and on the ESPN app. Meanwhile, sneaky big news. The monkey's paw is curling for James Harden. What does that mean? I don't know. So I woke up this morning and found that in my rundown in the Google interface. Doc. It's not an interface. It's a Google Doc. We have a great interface on our Google Doc. That we use. Where you just make up expressions. Cam wrote in there the following words. I'm reading it verbatim. All in caps. Sneaky big news, colon. The monkey's paw is curling for James Harden. Now, it should be pointed out that the Sixers are currently balling without him they are eight and one four and oh since they traded Harden but you might as well just as well say eight and one since they traded Harden because he never played the Clippers meanwhile are now three and six they're oh and four since they got James Harden in this last game against the Grizzlies he had 11 points and three assists and as coach Ty Lue said James Harden is being quote too polite So I would describe all that as saying this isn't starting well for James Harden. This could be an ominous sign for James Harden's future. Why, Cam, did you choose to describe this as the monkey's paw curling for Harden? Uh, It's an old expression that basically means careful what you wish for. James Harden keeps wanting out of places and keeps not being happy where he lands. And that is more evident now than ever. Obviously, four games is four games, but things have gotten a lot worse for him than they might have been if he had been on the Sixers. And everything is great right now in Philly, nine games in. So what is it that makes you think that is an old expression that people know? Is that something you've ever heard a person use in, 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 in conversation? I've literally never heard that in my life. 
Uh, yeah, I've he- I've heard it every now and then. It's from an old horror short story, which I didn't know the background of it until now. But it Thank basically God. it basically means it's you know sure you'll get what you wish, but something much more horrible will happen. See, Greeny, this is the negative effect that I have on people. Like no one feigns their intelligence better than I do, and now Cam is just doing it badly. I've heard this phrase before. I've I just never, didn't I've know the word. It's not a thing. Baba, have you life. heard the monkey's paw is curling I've for anyone? Never heard it in my life. I see ever. a lot of monkey's paw references on. I don't see any of them curling. Where is it curling? The monkey's paw is a symbol of desire and greed, everything that its owner could possibly wish for, and the unrestricted ability to make it happen. This power makes the paw alluring, even to unselfish people who desire nothing and have everything they need. What does that have to do with it curling? When it 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 curls, it means that what you wanted to happen happened, but it didn't work out for you. you, That's not intuitive. I don't see that anywhere. I literally don't see that anywhere. What did you look up? Kim, if we want to talk about James Harden, then you just put that in the document. Don't... Make up an expression that's make yourself sound Listen, smart. I don't want to hear from you on this over there, Mr. Interface. Okay? All of you just need to use... Stop being look so at, cantankerous. Look at Bubba. Bubba is the king of simple speech. Bubba, will you ask him a question? All right. How you do, Bubba and I had a phone call yesterday. We had a little conversation about stuff. I, I, how you doing? I'm doing good. What's going on? Ah, stuff going on. Like, he just give it to you. He'll speak to you in English. No one has to understand. So here we go. The monkey's paw. Oh, no, where is it here? The short story. Um, the story's plot. Tropes. tropes. I mean, I, 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 th- this is an expression. Like, the first website that comes up is TV tropes. I, this is, it's this a is common a, expression it is, in, it is like, literature. It's not a common expression. I mean, yeah, for example, is. yesterday I put on, Brian Cashman says he expects John Carlson to get hurt again. That's all I put on there. I didn't try and add any crazy sayings right. or phrases. <laughs> I, I put rant of the day. Chris Russo, not surprisingly, less than pleased with Michigan Harbaugh. Like, That's it. I think we need, you know, we're finding interesting ways to talk about things. It's not interesting. Like, you could have, a common expression is, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Like, that would have been fine. would have been appropriate. We wound up not talking about James Harden because of you. You well, know, once again. We could have. Uh, here's the only thing I want to say is that in this moment, Cam is the kettle, and you are the pot, and you are calling him black. Mm. You are the same person who one time when you wanted to make a point, for no reason whatsoever, invoked, I want to say, a song. What was the song you invoked needlessly Past from the point a musical? Of no return. Past the point of no return, <laughs> which is from what musical again? Uh, Phantom of the Phantom Opera. Phantom of the he Opera. sang it. Just to make a point. That something had gone past the point of no return, yeah. when all you had to do was say, this has gone past the point of no return. But instead, you said to me, Greeny, you know the song Point of No Return from, Lame, uh, from Phantom? And I said, eh, maybe. And then you said, well, I think this situation has gone past the point of no return. All of you need to understand brevity. Just make your point. Just, I never thought I'd hear myself say this. But take your cues verbally from Bubba. All right, next. <laughs> Trivia time. Let's go. So Stefan Diggs has three of the four 100 catch seasons in the history of the Buffalo Bills. And my question for you guys is, who is the other? Who is the only other player, aside from Stefan Diggs, to catch 100 passes in a season for the Buffalo Bills? Love the question. The answer's next. 
Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply it's demon time on prize picks where you can now win up to 100 times your money that's right 100 100 times times your money. money With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app go to prizepicks.com slash greenberg and use code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 that's prizepicks.com slash greenberg code greenberg for a first deposit match up to 100 prize picks pick more pick less it's that easy 10 seconds on the clock how many things can you name that are always growing your relationships your skills your customer base How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Greeny, the podcast. Presented by Progressive Insurance Breaking News. All right, we were talking about it, it feels like, 10 minutes ago, uh, and not having any idea this was going to happen. But two minutes ago, Adam Schefter tweeted that the Bills have fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. Their new interim offensive coordinator will be Joe Brady, per sources. So you wondered who is going to take the blame for this horrific loss for the Bills. You can't blame the head coach because he can fire other people. You can't blame the quarterback because he's the one it's all built around. So let's scapegoat this guy. So they have fired Ken Dorsey despite the fact that he's not responsible for how many men are on the field for field goal block at the end of regulation. Because I think it is relatively easy to say that if that first field goal that misses last night that went wide right had been the end of the game and the Bills had won, they wouldn't be firing Ken Dorsey today. I don't know that with certainty, obviously. Uh, I have no idea what the inside of it is. But this certainly feels like scapegoating. These problems predated him. There are obviously some issues with his relationship 
with Allen. It's never felt like that was especially good. But to make this decision 10 games into a season usually feels like a scapegoating move, a knee-jerk reaction kind of move. And I'll say it again. It's not Ken Dorsey's fault that they had 12 men on the field last night, and that's what cost them the game. Don't like it. Um, Don't like it at all. It's the kind of thing that you do if you're desperate. It's the kind of thing that you do if you feel you have to do something. And unfortunately, in the world of football, the coordinator is one of the first to go, or in this case, the first to go. Like I said before, I actually think Ken Dorsey is pretty good at the job. What I did was pull up Josh Allen's stats since 2020. Uh, The first two seasons, he was under Brian Dable. The last two, he was under Ken Dorsey. His QBR in the first two seasons under Brian Dable was uh, 72, excuse me, 71.4. His QBR in the last two years under Ken uh, Ken Dorsey is 72.9. Now, the one sort of major difference that you'll see is that Josh Allen's interception rate has increased considerably over the last two years. But if you look at the body of work for Josh Allen in total, the body of work for the offense in total, it's actually really comparable. So it feels to me like the Bills are just looking to do something for the sake of doing something. And sometimes doing something for the sake of doing something is not the wrong thing to do. I said it a few minutes ago. If, if, if you've led the horse to water and it will not drink, at some point you consider changing the jockey. This feels like a head coach who feels like his job might be in jeopardy, and so he's got to make a change. One way or another, that's the story here. The Bills coming off one of the worst losses I've ever seen an NFL team take um, have fired their offensive coordinator. By the way, if I had told you yesterday at 8 o'clock before the game started that the Bills would rush, would rush for 192 yards and the Bills' defense would allow two touchdowns, I would say there's almost no chance they lose the game. Right, because they turn it over four times. But they lose the game. So when you turn the ball over four times, that's what happens. You lose games and you fire your coordinators. All right, we'll, we'll have more on that as it becomes available. Greeny coming to you live above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17. Coming up in 30 seconds, we will have today's rant of the day, and this one is a doozy. That's 30 seconds from now. After this word from AutoZone, are you dealing with a dead battery? Head to AutoZone, America's number one battery destination. They offer free battery service. Like free battery testing and free battery charging, the testing can help you know if you need a new battery or not. If you do need a replacement battery, they're the only place you can find proven tough Duralast batteries. So next time you're having battery trouble, head to AutoZone, your battery solution and America's number one battery destination. I want to pay off my trivia question. Oh, I forgot about that. Sorry. I got distracted by the um, by this breaking news here. All right, yeah, do the question again. So Stefan Diggs has three 100 catch seasons for the Buffalo Bills. Only one other player in Bills history has had 100 catches in a season. My question for you, who was that player? All right, so uh, as we bring Cam and Bubba, and I know Brandon has a guest this morning as well, like this is called sneaky hembo. It's not obvious hembo. So like the obvious one to me, you want me to go first or last here, guys? Whatever you want. Uh, I can't think of a better choice than the obvious one. So I don't feel like there was anyone that came between the really great Bills teams and this time. Like that, that, that period of time in between there, whatever that was, 20 years or something, basically between Kelly and Allen, they had a couple of decent seasons. But I don't feel like any receiver, unless I'm completely overlooking someone, set the world on fire. So it seems too obvious to me, but the star receiver of their Super Bowl teams was Andre Reid. And I feel like if the answer was Andre Reid, you wouldn't have asked the question. But I can't think of a better one, so I'm going to go with Andre Reid. Bubba. Yeah, I've thought about Andre Reid. I've you know, thought of some other names, uh, you know, Eric Moulds, uh, Lee Evans. But 
I'm I'm gonna go with someone who was quick flash in the pan, couple good seasons, Stevie Johnson. Oh, okay, I remember him. And that's Brandon's guess as it well. It is. So we have two guesses for Stevie Johnson. We have one for Andre Reed. Cam? James Lofton. James Lofton. I did think of him. People, I think, tend to remember him more on other teams, but he did have a couple of good years in Buffalo. All right, the guesses are on the table, and? The correct answer is Eric Mould. Wow. wow. I thought about him. We said it. We said it. Did anybody uh, get it right? Uh, no. Nobody no. got it right. had 100 catches in 2002. Andre Reed's career high in Buffalo was 90. Stevie Johnson's career high in Buffalo was 82. And James Lofton's career high in Buffalo was 57. Oh, wow. So, Cam... If you would run down the scoreboard, please. Yes. 12 and 21. That's me. Bubba is 10 and 23. You are 8 and 25. Brandon's 3 and 9. Mark Cuban, 0 and 1. Mm. All right. He he is invited to come back and try and answer another question. All right. Next, uh, we've got our rant of the day. They are who we thought they were. Playoffs? Playoffs? You kidding me? You kidding me? Hello? You play to win the game. Rant of the day. In the whole history of our medium, there's been no one who ranted better and now has done it longer than our good friend, the Mad Dog, Chris Russo. So he's on his show yesterday, Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM. And we're talking about Michigan. And we're talking about Jim Harbaugh. And we're talking about Michigan playing the victim card. And Chris Russo said this. And I'm supposed to feel bad for Michigan that they got wrong? What are you, crazy? Again, Michigan thinks they're above it all. Michigan thinks they're bigger than you. Michigan thinks it's a decent academic school and everything else. Let's never forget that Michigan won a chip and well, got to the Final Four with the Fab with that Fab Five. How'd that work out? All the money they paid those guys to go to play at Michigan. Cheated their ass off to get those guys there. And I like Fisher, but you got to be fair. My God. And this whole thing that Harbaugh is somehow wronged, that is the biggest bunch of nonsense I've ever heard in my life. And now Harbaugh is going to do us a favor, and he's going to talk on Friday. We have asked Harbaugh to talk about this for three months. He has said absolutely nothing. But now that his rear end's on the line, he's going to talk in front of a restraining judge who's a Michigan grad. And how in the world is Michigan going to sit there and say they're hurt beyond, uh, you know, that they're hurt, whatever they used, that this is irreparable damage to the Michigan brand? How is that possible after you saw the game on Saturday afternoon against awful Penn State? That it's irreparable damage. They won the game by by two scores. Irreparable damage, my ass. He's a football coach. He's not Gandhi. My God almighty. Michigan, you know what Michigan can do? Loudly, go to hell. Oh, oh, Mad Dog throwing <laughs> down the gauntlet on the final word. How about that? Hell to the victims, valiant. <laughs> hell to the victims is what we're changing the song. I'm on Harbaugh's side. I'm on Harbaugh's side. Oh, you can go to hell too, then. <laughs> I will go to hell with Jim. Here's what I will tell you. Jim Harbaugh is a quirky man. I, I, I say this in a, not as, what I'm about to say is going to sound insulting, but it's really not. He's weird. He's a weird person. You ever been in a conversation with someone and you're thinking, this guy's weird. He's that. He has a strange way of talking. He has a, he, he, he sort of, his mind meanders in a lot of different places, but he's very smart and he's very sincere and look, he has made a lot of enemies. 
because he just does not care. Like Jim genuinely doesn't care if you don't like him. He's got his plan. He's he's got it all set up. He knows what he wants to do and he's going to do it. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, that's okay. We're not shaking hands at halftime. I don't care. We're not doing this, that, and the other. I don't care. You hate me. You love me. I don't care. I mean, he gets up there yesterday. Remember when he went and sat and watched Judge Judy live? Because mm-hmm. he just is a fan of the show. Do we have any of the press conference yesterday, Bubba, where we was talking about being Tom Cruise in a courtroom like a few good men? Can you put that on my I screen actually, if we um, have any of that? I heard that jo- Judge Judy is actually overseeing this case. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. So, so the point is, Michigan can have done wrong and still have been wronged in this situation. Look, I don't care who you are. And I don't care what your reasoning is. If you're going to suspend the head coach of a national title contender, you absolutely should inform him of that before it goes public. What, are we kidding? Harbaugh found out from someone else's social media on the plane. From what I'm told, Ward Manuel was furious about that. You're the commissioner of the Big Ten. You don't call them and tell them this is the decision we have reached until it breaks? That's not accidental. If that's accidental, then you're the Keystone Cops. You leak that story before it gets to Harbaugh? There was not irreparable harm being done by allowing him to coach that game. If you couldn't make this decision by the end of Thursday, you should have made it Monday. You are The, the people you're going after there are the kids because those players got to go out there and play without their coach and they had no time to be prepared to do so. Whether they're right or wrong for suspending him, is to me, is a completely separate conversation. But as far as Michigan painting themselves with the victims here, you've made it incredibly easy for them to do. If you were in their shoes, you would feel persecuted too, for sure. Doesn't mean they don't deserve where this ultimately winds up. But if this wasn't a rush to judgment, if this wasn't Ohio State or whoever else it was saying, you got to make this call fast. Otherwise, terrible things can happen. The players are going to get hurt. They know our signals. The players are going to be injured. This is a player safety issue. Get out of here with that. This doesn't have anything to do with being a player safety issue. This has to do with Michigan violating rules, which I do not uh, encourage or condone, and gaining an unfair advantage, and these schools not liking it, because Ohio State in particular got awfully used to kicking their behinds every single year. And all of a sudden, they're getting theirs kicked in return, and they don't like it, and they put a lot of pressure on, and this decision got made much more quickly than it needed to be made. And the way they went about it, dumping the story late in the afternoon on a Friday and letting Harbaugh read about it on an airplane on social media was the wrong way to do this, even if it was the right thing to do. That's what I think. Go. I think you're right insofar as the Big Ten bungled the delivery. But to me, the thing that matters most here is what they delivered, the information, the discipline, the, the suspension that they levied, I do feel is and was appropriate, even by the Big Ten's own admission. They had no reason to believe or at least no evidence that says Jim Harbaugh knew what was going on. But we know that the NCAA bylaws state that the head coach is ultimately responsible for what is happening. What happens on that field is sacred. The fact that Michigan was playing with an enormous advantage over a long period of time is such that I have no problem with them suspending him and doing so during the season because they had enough information. Did they fail in delivering that information properly? Sure. But ultimately, like that's let's not lose track of the fact that like what matters here is that the coach got suspended. I don't care if he found out on an airplane, on a boat, 
in a car, on a train, it makes no difference to me, really. Did they mess it up? Sure. But to me, that's, that's much less consequential than the, than the heart of the story itself. Mm. So if, if this had happened to a team you rooted for, lived and died with, would you not feel like they were being handled unfairly, that there was something premature about this, like the way it was handled felt vindictive, felt personal, felt aimed directly at them because you don't like them? Yes, I would have felt every single one of those emotions. And if I were a player on Michigan, if I was a coach on Michigan, if I was a fan of Michigan, I would be reacting with the same venom, with the same vitriol that they have since Friday afternoon. Like, this has become like a tribal partisan issue, it feels like. Like, it's become that, unfortunately. But that's the world in which we live. That doesn't mean the Big Ten made the wrong decision. It means that human emotions are going are gonna to react, behave in such a way when a person or a group of people feel like they've been targeted. In this case, unfairly so. Like, you said on, you said on Friday, no matter what decision he makes, at least half the people are not going to like it. Right. And that's what happened. Right. And I'm not one of those half. Like, based on the information I think I have, and I fully accept that Tony Petiti has information I don't have access to, I would say this probably will, it would be appropriate that this wound up in some sort of suspension and some sort of sanction for the program, for the university, for the head coach. All sounds good to me. It didn't have to happen Friday. This has been allegedly going on for years. It became absolutely critical that no matter what else happens, he didn't coach that game. The fate of civilization as we know it hinged on Harbaugh not being on that sideline that day. That just felt ridiculous to me. Now, one of the questions that Cam put on my document here is, how do you feel about Michigan weaponizing Harbaugh's suspension against Penn State? That was the obvious thing, most obvious thing I've ever heard in my life. Bart Scott said to me on Friday on television, There's nothing better than playing on the road because it's you against the world. We're all we got and we're all we need. You want to talk about getting that times a trillion. Those Michigan players, Penn State didn't have a chance. Michigan ran the ball 35 times in the second half, didn't throw a pass, and kicked their pretty good defense up and down the field. Penn State is bad because their offense is bad. But their defense is good, and Michigan manhandled them, and part of that was that anger. Let me ask you a question then. Like, as Michigan readies now for Maryland and then with Ohio State looming and what will be the game of the year, where do you think public sympathy lies? Do you, Jim Harbaugh called them America's team. I don't think anyone outside of Michigan feels that way, but maybe I just am in different circles. Do you think Michigan's going to be a, a sympathetic figure nationally, like publicly, the way that Jim Harbaugh said? I think, I think it will be divided right down the middle. So you got, you got four groups of people. You got the people who already cared one way or the other. And I think their feelings will just be reinforced. If you love Michigan, you will love them more. If you hate Michigan, you will hate them more. Then there'll be two other groups, which are people who otherwise really wouldn't have cared that much, but now do. And half of them will say, man, what they're doing to those kids is not fair. I hope they win. And the other half who say, man, that team is cheating and they're playing the victim card. I hope they get their butts kicked. So I think it'll probably be split somewhere, which is why the America's team thing, even though it's not what Jim meant when he said it, kind of makes some sense because the, what the Cowboys are more than anything is the most polarizing team in pro football, and that, I think, is what Michigan will definitively be now. Meanwhile, good job by Bubs found some of this. I and mean, This is just Jim yesterday talking. That's not my dance floor. You know, I'm not the uh, I'm not an attorney. Always wanted to be. You know, watched a lot of shows, watched Judge Judy, you know, a lot. Always kind of felt like it'd be cool to get up there and thunder away at a jury like Tom Cruise and uh, a few good men. 
uh, or be a judge, like Judge Judy, but alas, I did not go to law school. Like he just said that yesterday. Like he just said that because that's Jim. Like he's just talking. He doesn't give him credit. He's not going up there with bullet points. He's not going up there with talking points. He's not going up there with anything to hide. He's literally saying, you know, I always thought it would be kind of cool to be Tom Cruise or Judge Judy, but I didn't go to law school, so I'm looking forward to going up there and doing this. The whole thing is endlessly fascinating. In the meantime, we have one very big question coming up next, and I mentioned it before. It has to do with what we do and what some other people who do the same thing but very differently, what they do. We'll talk about it next on ESPN Radio. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Starting Stronger starts at AutoZone, where they've got battery solutions in the form of free battery testing, free battery charging, and replacement batteries that fit your needs. That's what makes them America's number one battery destination. Get in the zone with AutoZone. Uh, if you're just joining us again, breaking news today after their just horrible loss last night, the Bills have fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey. Feels like a little bit of a scapegoat kind of move to me. They lost that game last night because of their head coach and their special teams and their inability to have the right number of players on the field and the inexplicable explanation afterwards that they had um, their dime defense on the field when everyone on the planet knew that that Denver was just going to take a knee. So a lot of mistakes were made. But as is usually the case, they fire the highest-ranking person that they can get away with firing. Well, let me rephrase that. They fire the lowest-ranking person they can get away with firing. Sean McDermott didn't want to get fired. Josh Allen's not going anywhere. This was the easy move to make. I don't know whether Ken Dorsey was the problem or not, but one way or another, he is out of a job. That loss yesterday was positively devastating for this team. One other thing I wanted to mention quickly, just on the Michigan topic, when we talk about playing the victim, Yesterday, Teddy Bruschi, I thought, was terrific on that, on Get Up, when he said, I have experience with this. In the year 2006, the, that was when Spygate happened, when all of a sudden people were left and right accusing them of cheating. He said, we came back the next year, and we almost won every game. They went, this year they went 16-0. He said, we didn't finish the job. 
But we didn't just beat people. We blew people out. We took that personally. And hell yes, that was part of the reason why we ran up scores, why we rubbed it in people's faces, and why we blew people out. Because we felt we had been targeted. We felt people had questioned what we had accomplished, suggested it was because of cheating. And we absolutely responded that way as a result. And I think that's what Michigan is doing here. And that's what you do if you're a player, and that's what you do if you're a coach. But I'm, but I'm here to say... Like, this story is not done. Like, Jim Harbaugh's suspension doesn't finish with all this mess. Like, there is still an NCAA investigation, an active FBI probe. Like, there's other things happening at Michigan. This is merely a Band-Aid. We're going to keep finding out more stuff over the course of time that is going to make this period of Michigan football look worse and worse and worse, and that's why I remain sort of anti-Harbaugh and anti-Michigan in all of this. Okay, so I want to finish it up with one thing, though, because this question... You ask these questions. Greeny's question of the day. is one that is of particular interest to me based on my professional experience. Cam put in here, how often is the national media's perspective at odds with that of the local media and fan base? And before I explain how we got to ask this question, I'll point out that, look, I have, when Mike and I started doing our nationally syndicated morning radio show in January of 2000, which was not called Mike and Mike until maybe two years into it, we were the morning show on ESPN radio. There were two things they used to say about sports talk on the radio in those days. One, it won't work in the morning. And two, it cannot work nationally. It'll only work locally. And that's what Mike and I were up against. And so the number of days and nights and meetings and conversations I had over how much we should focus on local things while our show's on in this city, but not that city. Do we focus on this? Do we not focus on that? That stuff was my whole career. That's all I thought about. It's all we talked about. It's all we considered. It was how we made practically every decision we made in the early years. And what I eventually figured out, we figured out, was the show worked best, people liked it best, when we just stopped worrying about that and did the show we thought we should do. If we were interested in something, we would bring the audience along with us. They'll be interested. If we have an opinion, we shouldn't worry. Well, that's not what the columnists are saying in New York or in Chicago or in Dallas or in Pittsburgh. We stop worrying about that. Do the show. The rest will take care of itself. That's what we did. But it is no, not lost on me in any way that frequently we are taking positions, those of us who work at a place like ESPN, where we cover an entire nation's worth of sports every single day, we are taking positions that are at odds with the positions that are being taken often by fan bases in particular places. So here's the example that Cam brought up. We posted a tweet a few weeks ago on ESPN Radio's Twitter account about Mike Tomlin's coaching prowess. And Steeler fans went nuts, ripping him, was pointing out his lack of playoff success, his inability to win a Super Bowl with Big Ben A.B. and Le'Veon Bell. Their focus is on his recent mediocrity rather than his ability to get the most out of his players. They also place the blame squarely on him for poorly constructed rosters. The perception of Tomlin in the national media versus local media is very different. Twitter, of course, doesn't speak for everyone. But the reaction was very uniform across the board. Fascinating. Fascinating to me. And so the question that Cam raises is, how often are those perspectives completely different? And I think the answer is, all the time. All the time. And that's the beauty of it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong. 
If you're a fan, you are entitled to think whatever you want. So am I. So this is my perspective on Mike Tomlin. It's what I think. I fully acknowledge. I don't watch every snap of every game of every season. I don't read the transactions every single day. I'm not at training camp. I'm not at practice. I'm not at their games. So there are people who know that team a thousand times better than I do. All I can give you is my opinion from where I sit. I think right this minute, if the job of a coach is you look at that person's talent, the, the talent he has at his disposal, and say, is he getting more out of it, less out of it, or about what you would expect out of it? No one is getting more out of less than he is. So I think he's a great coach. That's my perspective. If you're listening to us in Pittsburgh right now and you strongly disagree, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. You're watching it every single day. You're more than entitled to that opinion. I had this exact conversation on the golf course this summer. I got randomly paired up with an older gentleman who had grown up loving the Steelers in the 70s. I actually noticed because he had a Steelers tattoo on his calf. And so I naturally brought, up, you know, brought it up, told him what I do. We talked for those four hours. And what he said was, after I told him what I do for a living, oh, all you guys at ESPN, you guys in the national media, you give Mike Tomlin a free pass. You know what I want? I want championships. That's, not, that's something he's won in a decade and a half. He hasn't even gotten to the Super Bowl since 2010, right? That's the perspective of a fan base, in their case, that has won all sorts of championships. But one of the reasons they've won all sorts of championships is because they don't get on the roller coaster. Because they go through, if they have the right person in place... They let that person continue to do it. And that's why they didn't fire Chuck Knoll after a bad year and why they didn't fire Bill Cowher after a bad year. And oh, by the way, Mike Tomlin has never had a bad year. And I'm here to tell you, at least this is my opinion, that if you had six coaches in the last 15 years, you would appreciate Mike Tomlin a mm. lot more because most of them don't have a freaking clue what they're doing. So don't let Bill Belichick and Vince Lombardi skew your opinion of what successful coaching looks like. They don't all win six championships. This is one person's opinion. Mike Tomlin is an excellent coach. If you disagree, I'm all good with it. I'm glad we talked about it. See you tomorrow, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN. And also available wherever you get your podcasts.